Blog Talk Radio. Left appeal to enough voters to make her briefly frontrunner last fall. 
but, provide but proved unable to translate from elite progressives into backing from the party's more working-class diverse base. Okay, um, all right, let's, let me, there's no announcement of, like, any endorsement or anything, so let's dive into it. Two minutes before I come on air, news breaks, Elizabeth Warren is officially dropping out of the presidential race. So there we have it. Uh, now the race is down to uh, Biden versus Bernie. And you also, I don't know why, have Tulsi Gabbard hanging in there with less than 1%. Um, I don't know what her, her plan is, but nonetheless, she is still in. But Elizabeth Warren has uh, officially dropped out of the race. Um, now, there's a lot to say about her. There's a lot to say about her doing this. There's a lot to say about her history, her record, what's happened to her you know, up to this point, and what's going to happen from here. But before I get into it, let me just say this. If you ever supported Elizabeth Warren for any of the policy reasons that prior to this race defined her career, you have a home in the Bernie Sanders camp and will welcome you with open arms. No judgment. I'm not going to say anything. Uh, oh, how could you have supported her over him to begin with? No. Let's put all that aside. If you really, at any point, believed in her policy vision that defined most of her career up until this point, welcome aboard. More than happy to have you here. So that's first and foremost. Now, what happened with her campaign and what's she going to do from here? Well, from here, we genuinely don't know. There is a chance she drops out and says absolutely nothing like 2016, where she didn't run for president, but she said, hey, I'm staying out of it. It's Bernie versus, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton, and I'm just going to stay out of it, and whatever happens, happens, and then come the general, I'll endorse and, and I'll help the Democrat. It's very possible she does that now, too. Uh, who, who, me? No, 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 I'm not saying anything. I'm not doing anything. Talk to me during the general election. It's possible that that happens. Um, it's possible she endorses Bernie. It's possible she endorses Biden. Both camps were apparently courting her. Now, if you say, well, come on, there's no way she would ever endorse Biden, I would have told you before, you know, whatever, a month ago, there's no way she would accept help from a super PAC. And then she accepted about $10 million in help from a super PAC for Super Tuesday. And just so everybody knows, it's not like that super PAC was really spending to try to get her elected. The whole point of it was, let's try to get Elizabeth Warren to chip away for Bernie Sanders' vote totals so that it hurts him and clears a path for Biden. That was the whole idea of the super PAC jumping in. Now, did she know that? She's a smart person, so I would guess she probably knew that that was basically what was going on. Maybe in the back of her mind, she thought, hey, there's a 3% chance I could somehow break out and do well on Super Tuesday. But, you know, there was no reason to really believe that. So, unfortunately, there are a lot of question marks uh, surrounding her. What happened to, to, in this race up to this point? Guys, there was a time that she led in the polls. People don't remember this. There was a time that she was leading. She leapfrogged Bernie Sanders. She leapfrogged Joe Biden. And this was early on during some of the debates. This was at a time when really her focus was economic populism. She would talk about Wall Street, talk about regulating them and raising taxes on them, she was playing the game with Bernie where she's like, hey, I'm just like this guy, except I'm younger and female. So I got those things over him. So, you know, 
there was a brief moment where she led. And then what happened? At some point, there were a bunch of former Kamala Harris staffers who ran her campaign into the ground and a bunch of uh, former Hillary staffers that Elizabeth Warren welcomed in, and they ran her campaign into the ground. Now, am I saying that she, gets, she bears no responsibility for that? No, because the buck stops with you. If they say, hey, do this strategy, you could be like, no, I'm not doing that. But it's obvious that they made a concerted effort at some point to really lean into gender politics and to kind of have economic populism on the back burner. When she did that, she immediately tanked in the polls. Just like with Kamala Harris. Remember, Kamala Harris was doing well early on, too, because she was saying, hey, I was the first co-sponsor of Bernie's Medicare for All bill. She was saying that, and then what happened? Eventually, her main issue became, we need to ban Donald Trump from Twitter. <laughs> what? So she tanked as well. So her campaign was run into the ground. A lot of it has to do with her staffers. A lot of it has to do with her not realizing you have to be politically savvy enough to tell the, the people to piss off when they're saying something that makes no sense. She didn't do that. And as a result, her campaign was run into the ground, never mind the fact that she accused the most progressive senator of your lifetime and my lifetime of being a secret sexist. And you're going after the king, by the way. He's got the, most, he's got the, high favorability, the highest favorability ratings of everybody in this Democratic primary. So when you go after him, you better come correct. Because if he turns around and says, I didn't say that, people are not going to believe you because you have the history of, you know, with the Native American thing, among other things, people look at you like you're not as trustworthy as he is. Whether or not you agree with that is irrelevant. That's what people believe. So, you know, you can't go at him unless you're coming correct. And I sh that was very sloppy to go at Bernie Sanders and say, oh, he's like a secret sexist. Oh, please. So what happens now? Again, we'll see, man. There's a chance she sits out and does nothing. There's a chance she endorses Biden. There's a chance she endorses Bernie. Whoever offered her the most, I believe, will probably get the endorsement. Or, you know, it would be a Hail Mary pass, but she finds the same kind of principles that led her to do the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and she says, you know what, screw it, I'm back in Bernie. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I know what I want to happen. You know, before the whole Amy Klobuchar, Mayor Pete endorsing Biden fiasco, I really would have told you that these endorsements don't necessarily mean all that much. After watching what happened with uh, Mayor Pete and Amy, my opinion on that has changed. The endorsements matter. They absolutely do. Because it appears like, you know, Biden got all of those Amy voters. Biden got all of those Pete voters, which is why he was able to win a bunch of states unexpectedly on Super Tuesday. So um, if Warren drops out and endorses Bernie, that goes a long way. It helps a lot. In fact, if she had done this before Super Tuesday, Bernie would have won three or four more states pretty clearly. Now, the polls previously, early on, had shown that about 40% of Elizabeth Warren supporters would back Bernie. That was earlier. And then I just saw a poll yesterday, the most recent poll on this same thing, 40% back Bernie. But it's only like, I don't know, about 15% that would back Biden. So it does give a little bit of an advantage to Bernie. So if she stays out of it, then that might have still a little bit of a boost to Bernie because it looks like more of the default option from Elizabeth Warren are the Bernie people. Um, but if she drops out and endorses Bernie, then that number goes up even more. That number goes from 40% to who knows, maybe 60% of the people backing her would back Bernie. Some would still sit out. Some would go to Biden. But um, it would go a long way, and one of the reasons why it would go a long way, guys, is the demographics of the race to this point. So Bernie Sanders, really, there's no way of sugarcoating it. He's doing a lot worse with rural whites, and he's doing a lot worse with uh, suburbanites 
than he did in 2016. And Elizabeth Warren, the core of her base is, you know, very much suburbanites. It's highly educated liberals with a college degree. So that is an area where Bernie's struggling. He's got working class people, no college degree. It would, it would you know, bring in a new demographic and one that's kind of needed at this point, especially since he's not doing as well with young people as we hoped, the turn, and meaning the turnout isn't as high. He's crushing in terms of the percentage of young people he's getting, but the turnout is not as high as we want it to be. So it would definitely help. But having said that, I don't, I don't know what she's going to do because there's been so many times where she's disappointed us. Now, again, this, this is not to say anything about the Elizabeth Warren supporter, because I have sympathy for many of the Elizabeth Warren supporters, because a lot of them did latch on to certain policy things that she supported early on in her career and fought for. And um, I do think many of them are genuine in that belief. Sure, there are some who latched on to her simply because, oh, she's a woman and is part of the former Hillary coalition, and let's get a woman elected, and that's all I need to know, and don't really care about the policies. Those people exist. But, you know, listen, a lot of the people were backing her, particularly because she's tough on Wall Street, and she did the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and she believes in enforcing antitrust law and breaking up these big monopolies and all that stuff. So for all those people, me criticizing her is not criticizing you. I'm criticizing her and the decisions that she's made. But we will, you know, see very soon what she plans on doing. I'm sure there's going to be an announcement soon, and we'll see if she endorses somebody. But yesterday, I did see a whole lot of people on Twitter. They were Warren to Bernie supporters. And they said, hey, listen, this brings me no pleasure to say. In fact, it hurts quite a bit. I loved Elizabeth Warren. I thought she was the best option. But now it's clear there's only one progressive path, and it's through Bernie Sanders. We welcome you with open arms. And I'm relatively certain that there's also a lot of messing around going on on Twitter these days because um, there's a lot of things that wouldn't be trending that are trending. Like, for example, right now as I'm talking to you, Warren to Biden is trending. I told you, the polls already show Bernie, the people that go from Warren to Bernie, they're double them compared to the people that go from Warren to Biden. So why is Warren to Biden trending? My guess is it's, there's some messing around on Twitter. I don't know if you want to say it's bots. I don't know if you want to say they placed it in the trending area. Whatever it is, there's messing around going on, and I've been seeing a lot of it lately. So um, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But Elizabeth Warren officially dropping out. If she had stuck with that original plan and not hired the Hillary staffers and the Kamala staffers, I'm not kidding you. I think she could have won this election. Now, you might say, no, Kyle, come on, because look at how she's doing now. Right, but that's my point, is there was a time when she was leading. If she went with that exact same strategy from when she was leading, she could be president right now. Instead, she didn't, and now she, you know, totally crumbled away. And um, I, it, I'm sure she feels embarrassed, because she, one of the things she said during the campaign many times is, I've never lost a political race. Well, part of a political race is part of being a politician and part of being, you know, a competitor in anything is learning how to lose. That sounds silly, but it's true. No matter what endeavor you're doing, if you're a basketball player, if you're a golfer, if you're a politician, whatever, you're going to lose quite a bit. So you have to learn how to lose and recover. Some people don't have that where they have the ability, the mindset, where, okay, I'm, I've taken my lumps and I can recover now. Some people, once they're down once, they're down and out. So it probably hurts for her right now. Um, but... There is an opportunity to do the right thing. And also, it's here, baby. It's here. Biden versus Bernie. 
with how the momentum has gone on Super Tuesday, yes, Bernie people are nervous and we're like, oh my God, this is scary as hell. However, you know, if I had told you, think about this. If I had told you the week that Bernie had the health scare and was in the hospital, if I had told you after Super Tuesday, we're going to be dead tied with Biden and everybody else is going to be out of it. Would you have liked our chances? Yeah, I mean, I would have taken that. If you told me that that day you went to the hospital, that there's going to come a time right after Super Tuesday, they're tied in delegates, and, you know, we have whatever, 60% of the, of the race is still to go. Do you like your chances? I would have said, I'll shake on it. I'll take that right now. And, and I know it might not feel like it, but right now Bernie is in a much stronger position than he was versus Hillary. People don't know that. We feel like, oh, you know, it was about the same Hillary versus Bernie. No, it wasn't. (laughs) Bernie was significantly behind in delegates at this point, and he still had a chance. So with with Biden, he's in a much stronger position. And if if you'd have any opponent, if you'd like to have any opponent, it's Joe Biden. Because he really is struggling to get out coherent sentences. So we'll see what happens. But uh, the establishment is all lining up behind him. Warren is now out. And we're going to duke it out. Okay. Next, baby. Next, baby. Next, baby. So, it's time to expose Joe Biden's record. It is time to expose that man's record. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a brand new presidential race now. A brand new presidential race. It is Bernie Sanders versus Joe Biden. Reset the scorecard. We're going to be tied coming out of Super Tuesday in delegates. Um, We have about 60% of the states left to vote. So um, here we go. Here we go. Now, Joe Biden had a good Super Tuesday. He has Jomentum, as they're calling it. Okay, but I want America to know what it's getting into if it picks Joe Biden over Bernie Sanders to go up against Donald Trump. Now, Donald Trump, as of this moment, is a giant favorite for re-election. So it's going to be a race no matter who's up against Trump. Doesn't matter, it's going to be a race. But Bernie Sanders is the only one with a prayer. If a race was held between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, I think there's about an 80%, maybe a little bit over an 80% chance that Trump wins. Now, why do I say that? For a number of reasons. I mean, first and foremost, Trump had a lot to hold over Hillary's head because of her poor record with the Iraq war and the outsourcing deals and, and Libya and the Clinton Foundation and the speeches to Goldman Sachs. Trump had a lot to go after Hillary with, but keep it real, for all of Hillary's flaws, She's relatively quick on her feet. There's no denying that. Of all my criticisms, and I have many of Hillary Clinton, she's quick-witted. Like, she'll stand there and go back and forth with you. There's no denying that. Joe Biden, Trump has a horrible record to hold over his head, and also he's not forming coherent sentences. So we have a lot of this to look forward to if it's Biden versus Trump. Trump. 
longtime friend, and she's a friend. She's been my friend in and out of public life. We all these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by the go. You know the you know the thing. Tomorrow, superstar. Seriously. All right, Jack. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, it's Chris, but anyway. Chris. My name's Joe Biden. I'm a Democratic candidate for the United States Senate. Look me over. If you like what you see, help out. If not, vote the other way. I love this place. I love, look, what's not to like about Vermont? One thing I'm proudest of is getting passed, getting moved, get, getting control of the Paris Climate Accord. I'm the guy that came back after meeting with Deng Xiaoping and making the case that I believe China was going if we put pressure on them. You had people like Margaret Thatcher, excuse me, you had people like the, the former chairman and leader of the party in, in Germany. Go to Joe 30330. That's what happened when those kids from Parkland came up to see me when I was vice president. They went into the, and some, some of you covered it. It's not that they don't want to help. They don't, want, they don't know quite what to do. Play the radio. Make sure the television, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on tonight. The phone. Make sure the kids hear words. And it get hot. I got a lot of it. I got hairy legs that turn, that, 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 that turn uh, um, blonde in the sun. And the kids used to come up and reach in the pool and rub my leg down so it was straight and then watch the hair come back up again. They look at it. So I learned about roaches. I learned about kids jumping on my lap. And I've loved kids jumping on my lap. Honestly, that's really not even very funny. It's not. It's not. It's very sad. I've seen, and you're going to see him in a little bit as well, I've seen videos of Joe Biden going back to, going back to, that was a ghost, by the way. I'm just kidding. It was my foot that kicked the wire. Going back to 2016, Joe Biden is way sharper than what you just saw right there. Do yourself a favor. Go back all the way to 2012. Watch the YouTube debate between Paul Ryan and Joe Biden. And tell me he hasn't lost not just a step. Homeboy's lost like three or four steps. It honestly is sad to watch. He obliterated uh, Sarah Palin in 2008. He obliterated... Paul Ryan in 2012. He's also, by the way, a really good debater in those elections. Now compare that to everything that's gone on recently. Guys, I, I really take no pleasure in saying this. He has cognitive decline. He has dementia. And if the response is, yeah, but Trump has it too, is that really the kind of presidential race we want to have? A race between two people with de- dementia? And by the way, I think even if you try to make the case that Trump has it, it's nowhere near as advanced as what Joe Biden is dealing with. And again, I take no pleasure in saying this. He's not my preferred candidate, but honestly, that's irrelevant. I think the dude needs help. I do. This is very, very difficult to watch. So just so everybody understands, what happens next is there's a lot of people in corporate media who turn around and say, how dare you? You're not allowed to talk about this, specifically because Joe Biden has a a stutter, or he used to have a stutter. And, um, when you bring up anything about his speech patterns, you are therefore bullying him for his stutter. I'm not kidding you. There's, this is an argument that people make with a straight face, to which my response is, what you just saw is not the result of a stutter. Joe Biden himself said in an, inter- in an interview to Axios, no, no, this has nothing to do with my stutter at all, nothing. This is, you know, me sometimes I'm struggling to find the words. And according to his campaign staffers, it always happens later in the day. Like he'll be okay earlier in the day, and then as the day goes on, as you get closer to late afternoon, and, and evening time, 
that's when it starts going. And you could see it in the debates. Some of the debates, he starts out relatively strong. And then, you know, I don't know what they do beforehand. Maybe give him some caffeine or whatever. And then halfway through the debate, three-quarters through the debate, all, the, all of a sudden, he's, you can't understand him. He's incoherent. And it's happened time and time and time again. So I'm telling you, don't take my word for it. Go watch a video of him from four years ago. Go watch the debate with Paul Ryan. It, you know, that's not four years ago. 2016 is four years ago. But check four years ago. Check eight years ago. You know, check 12 years ago. You're going to be amazed at how much more quick and with it he is back then and how sharp the decline has been. Um, so here's my question to you. You really want to put this up against Trump? Now, I get it. There's a lot of people who are part of the Democratic establishment, not the voters, the establishment, who quite literally would rather have a second term of Trump than a first term of Bernie Sanders. That exists. So I'm not talking to them because they're lost causes. They represent their lobbyists, their special interests, the donors and the billionaires. They're representing the corporate interests. So I'm not talking to them. They're a lost cause. What I'm talking to is the voter out there who even might consider themselves a moderate, a centrist. The voters out there who are like, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of Bernie Sanders. Okay. But is this really what you want up against Trump? To the extent that you actually believe the most important thing is to get rid of Donald Trump, as we've heard so many people say, to the extent that you actually believe that, you cannot have Joe Biden go up against Donald Trump. Trump is a giant favorite in that race for a variety of reasons. Just so everybody understands, Trump is already going at it with Joe, and he's already showed his line of attack. He has now repeatedly said, Joe Biden should be in a home somewhere. He said it at multiple rallies and speeches that he's given. Joe Biden, you should be in a home somewhere. He should be in a home somewhere. He's not all there right now. Somebody said on Twitter, Trump is going to go in the debates with Joe Biden, railroad him, call him senile Joe, and then he's going to win in a landslide. I got I to tell you guys, man, with his mind in this kind of state, there's literally a debate to be had. Would you rather have somebody who philosophically disagrees with you massively but is all there mentally, or somebody who agrees with you more philosophically but is having severe cognitive decline? Who would you rather pick? There's a serious question there. That's not an easy question. Because, you know, you could argue the cognitive decline represents a more clear and present danger than any kind of disagreement philosophically, even if that disagreement philosophically will have bad consequences. Will it be worse than somebody who is in the state that Joe Biden's in? Debate that amongst yourselves. But this is really, really, really bad. Joe Biden needs help. Joe Biden is unelectable. So this is my plea to people, even who might say, I don't like Bernie Sanders. Okay, but he's all there mentally. You could disagree with him, but he's sharp as a tack. So you cannot go Joe Biden. You cannot go Joe Biden. I don't ask this often. I don't ask this often. I don't know if I ask this ever. But I'm going to ask you to spread around this segment, share it with whoever you can, and also many of the other segments that we're going to do today talking about Joe Biden, I want you to share those as well. Because people need to know. I genuinely believe that on Super Tuesday, at least, at least 20% of the people who voted for Joe Biden haven't really heard him speak over the last year or two, more than three minutes. 
I really believe that. Because, you know, people, people might not always make the right decisions, but I think that if everybody knew the full picture about what's going on with Joe Biden's mental health, there's no way he would win another election. Not possible. So there you have it. I think this is very important. I think we have to get the word out because this is dangerous. We're playing with fire. And if Joe Biden gets the Democratic nomination, look out because there's an over, overwhelmingly high chance that Donald Trump gets another four years. Okay. Next. <clears throat> Turn that off. So here we go. This is the case for Bernie Sanders for president. Oh, hold on. Change this. Let me change this, bitch. Okay, here we go. So here we go. This is the case for Bernie Sanders for president that you're about to see. And it's made by none other than Joe Biden. said he was a democratic socialist based on what he's saying people wouldn't be calling him a democratic socialist that's how he characterizes himself in sort of european terms the democratic socialist parties in, in europe but, but why is she but, having trouble well i i think that that bernie is speaking to a yearning that is deep and real and he has credibility on it and that is the absolute enormous concentration of wealth in a small group of people with a middle class now being able to be shown being left out. There used to be a basic bargain. If you contributed to the profitability of an enterprise, you got to share in the profit. That's been broken. Productivity's up. Wages are stagnant. He's talking about that as well. It's, but it's, it's, it's relatively new for Hillary to talk about that. Hillary's focus has been on other things up to now, and that's been Bernie's, uh, no one questions Bernie's authenticity on those issues. And they question so, Well, I, I think they question everybody who hasn't been talking about it all along. The first point is, look how much more Joe Biden is there cognitively, and that's just in 2016. That's four years ago. And he's way sharper, way sharper. But beyond that, I don't need to add anything else. He just made the case right there. Bernie's the real deal. Bernie's authentic. Bernie's speaking to a genuine pain out there. Almost sounds like an endorsement for Bernie Sanders. Now, he's bringing up the issues, oh, Bernie cares deeply about wealth and income inequality, for example. Listen, man, Bernie's brought this up time and time again. Joe Biden has repeatedly pushed for cuts to Social Security. Joe Biden has supported many of the outsourcing deals that devastated the Rust Belt. Joe Biden supported the Iraq War. His own record has a lot of terrible votes in it, horrible votes in it. And it's almost like he's letting you know. Yeah, this guy's the real one who's fighting income and wealth inequality. This guy's the real one who's tapping into that working class anger and that pain. Almost sounds like an endorsement to me. So there's been a lot of that. I've I've been seeing a lot of videos of, you know, the other candidates 
in moments of honesty talking about how, yeah, we all know who's fighting for the little guy. We all know who that is. Okay, it's Bernie Sanders. It's Bernie Sanders. So um, not only does he eclipse them on policy, we've also discussed this before, but when it comes to electability, there's nobody even close. I think Bernie Sanders is the only one with a chance to be Donald Trump. I think Joe Biden would be a massive underdog, in part because he's got a record that uh, Trump could hold over his head like Trump did to Hillary. He has a very similar record to Hillary. And also because, yes, he's experiencing pretty severe cognitive decline. So I, I take no pleasure in reporting that. I take no pleasure in saying that. But that is the fact of the matter. That's the reality of the situation. And I think everybody needs to know that. Everybody needs to understand that. So for all that you're, you're going to see it moving forward quite a bit now. Joe Biden is going to go all in on, oh, Bernie's extreme. Bernie's unelectable. Bernie, oh, my God. Say anything nice about Fidel Castro lately, Bernie? Say anything nice about Cuba lately, Bernie? This is what they're going to go all in with. It is absurd. And Joe Biden, part of the Obama administration, and the Obama administration, like every American administration, buddy-buddy with many authoritarian regimes around the world. So don't tell me, oh, I'm going to clutch my pearls and accuse Bernie of, you know, cuddling up to authoritarians. Tell me about your relationship with Saudi Arabia. Got anything to say about that? Did you try to advise Barack Obama to break off relations with Saudi Arabia because they're a theocratic authoritarian dictatorship that behead people in the public square for sorcery and apostasy? No, you didn't. In fact, you made deals with them. So spare me all that stuff. Spare me the nonsense arguments because it's just desperation. It's desperation. And the reality is, no matter how much they try to claim, oh, Bernie's the unelectable one, Bernie's the bad one, you heard it from Joe Biden himself right there. And he goes on to say, I'm not surprised at all that it's close between Bernie and Hillary right now. Why would I be surprised? Bernie's formidable. Make the right decision. If we go with Joe Biden, we're going to experience 2016 all over again. 2016 2.0. An uninspiring neoliberal corporate centrist getting beaten by a fake populist, even after four years of that populist proving he's no populist. I'm trying my best to keep my eyes on the, on the news to see if there's any um, indication of who Warren is going to endorse. I don't know who Warren is going to endorse. Um, She very well might just sit on the sidelines. So I'll I'll keep my eye on it as the show continues, because I think all of us would like to know, and I want to tell you guys ASAP, how many times have we seen, so Ezra Klein just tweeted the following, and how many times have we seen nonsense like this before. So the 2020 election is going to come down to a 73-year-old conspiracy theorist who rambles incoherently and lies constantly. That's Trump he's trying to say. A 77-year-old who rambles and sometimes loses his place. That's Biden. That's a kind way of saying he has dementia, which he likely does. And a 78-year-old socialist who just had a heart attack. This is a tweet from somebody who's supposed to be a journalist. Dude, none of that, well, the dementia part is relevant, (laughs) but none of that takes into account 
policy, policy agenda, what they actually want to do with the country. All this stuff, like, that. this is a, a way of saying, an underhand way of saying, like, wow, where's the diversity on this ticket? Where are the black people? Where are the Latino people? Where are the women? Where are the whatever, fill in the blank? Where are the Muslims? Whatever. Whatever kind of diversity you want to add to it. Plenty of people ran for office. There was plenty of diversity up there. And these are the people who remain. What, are you going to blame the voters? What, are you going to chastise them and berate them and say, like, hey, you should have picked somebody based on arbitrary characteristics. But it turns out those candidates weren't that great (laughs) for a variety of reasons. In the case of Kamala going all in on the identity stuff and kind of abandoning any semblance of I'm kind of like Bernie that she was doing early on, Elizabeth Warren, same thing, went after Bernie in very hacky ways and backed off of Medicare for all, so she tanked. Like, what do you want? What do you want? You want to handpick somebody who checks all the right diversity boxes and then they got up there and they're not battle tested and they lose even worse to Trump? Is that what you want? I'm just so tired of this, man. The only thing that matters is policy. And if you care about policy, you know what that's going to lead to? A diverse group of lawmakers being elected. That's what's going to happen. If you believe in Medicare for all and free college and a living wage and ending the wars and a Green New Deal and all this stuff, you're going to have a rainbow coalition. You're going to have white people and black people and Latino people. You're going to have women. You're going to have people with different religious backgrounds. You know, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. You're going to have Asians. You're going to have, you know, Native Americans. You're going to, you're going to have it if you focus on the policy. But they always try to put the cart before the horse. Like, yeah, look at this. Old white guys. Isn't that a giant problem? The policies are what matters. Can you focus on that, please? Why do we have to pretend like other things are more important? Yeah, it's so frustrating. Jesus Christ, Ezra Klein. How is this like a mainstream journalist at this point? He's comparing somebody who's a, who's a far-right president. He's increased our wars abroad. He's done uh, massive tax cuts for the rich and corporations. Basically, Donald Trump is functionally acting like just a standard elitist Republican. That's really what it is, with a few you know, differences sprinkled in, like trying to make peace with North Korea, which I agree with, being slightly more protectionist on trade, with very little variation, Trump is basically a standard Republican. So you have a conservative up against a neoliberal centrist, that's Biden, versus a social Democrat. You could have phrased the tweet that way, but no. You had to focus on their age and their gender. Thank you very much. You added so much to the conversation, Ezra. Where was I, where was I supposed to be? What story am I supposed to do? Oh, now we're on healthcare. That's what I was going to go to. So here's Joe Biden in 2007 arguing for Bernie Sanders' healthcare plan. Now, today he tells us, "Oh my god, this is not doable and this you're not leveling with the American people and we can't afford it." Here he is talking about Bernie's plan and he's for it. Biden was for it before he was against it, and you're going to have to ask yourself, "Why is that?" The bill, the consensus in this country, because the real 
problem is going to be taking on those insurance companies. Because they're going to be the ones, you're going to have Harry and Louise, remember those ads with Harry and Louise? Out there saying, this is awful what the Democrats are proposing. And so the second thing is, you've got to provide for, I think everyone should essentially be able to be, we're made one on, essentially have the same kind of coverage you have in Medicare. It should be just universal across the board. And we can afford to do that. That's Bernie's plan. That's it. That's it right there. He just said it. Let's take Medicare. You can, you're can. you in it when you're born. Expand it to everybody. Make it universal. And we can afford it. What happened to that, Joe Biden? That's exactly what Bernie's plan is. Medicare for all. You're in it when you're born. It's universal. And it we can afford it. Because, by the way, it saves money. It saves money. I know they're trying to fear monger. Oh, my God, the cost. Oh, my God, I'm going to say a large number. $30 trillion or whatever number. They always do this. Oh, my God, scare numbers. Scare numbers. The Republicans do this with the debt, too. $19 trillion. It's like, okay, but do you have a point? Because the reality is with Medicare for All, according to every objective study on it, even when you look at the right-wing studies, which are not objective, the libertarian studies, even according to them, Medicare for All saves trillions. But according to the best study, which is um, from the University of Massachusetts Amherst, Medicare for All saves $5.1 trillion over a 10-year period. Because you're getting rid of the unnecessary mafia middleman. There's no reason for a parasite in between you and your doctor robbing you. That's what it is. They're price gouging you, and they're right in between you and your doctor. And the way our system works right now, you can't pick whatever doctor you want. I can't. i got to go in-network. If you have Medicare for all, there is no network. Everything is your network. You go wherever the hell you want. So you go wherever you want, which means it increases freedom, and you save money. And what they do is they fear monger, oh, my God, but middle class taxes are going to go up. If somebody in the middle class is paying $12,000 a year for their health care, and Bernie Sanders says, I'm going to get rid of that private tax you're paying of $12,000 a year, and I'm going to charge you $8,000 in public taxes, are you taking that deal? You're saving four grand. Why the hell wouldn't you? Yeah, but it's coming in the, in, in the form of taxes. Well, you're, the co-pays, premiums, and deductibles that you have to pay to a private insurance company, that's a tax. That's just a private tax. Instead, you're going to pay less, give it to the government because they're the single insurer, and everything's covered. You can go wherever you want. This is a no-brainer. And you know who knew that? Joe Biden knew that. See, again, this is the thing about Bernie Sanders that drives me crazy, is... He actually baits other Democrats into exposing the monsters that they are. <laughs> That's what he does. Bernie Sanders has dragged the population back to a reasonable place to the left on the spectrum. In terms of the other politicians, they're so quick to be like, I don't agree with FDR. I don't agree with JFK. I don't agree with Truman. I don't agree with the entire history of uh, you know, democratic politics. I don't agree with the basic stuff that we've been trying to do forever. Because this guy now is saying it, and I'm going to proclaim he's a radical. Even though he's not, Bernie is the moderate. Bernie is the centrist. You guys are the extremists. So, it, you know, it's always amazing to see these clips. Hillary Clinton in 2008 ran on single payer. Joe Biden casually in 2007, 2008, talking about how we need to have Medicare for all. And by the way, every exit poll so far in every state, a story we'll get to later, I'll give you the specific numbers. Every exit poll. Everyone has Medicare for all above water. It's popular. It's popular. And they're, by the way, they're phrasing the question in a way to try to get people to say, no, they don't want it. They phrase it in a way that's like, 
Do you want to abolish private health insurance for a single government option? Like those, to frame it in that way, you're trying to get people to say, no, I want choice. I don't want a single government plan. I don't want to abolish, because abolish sounds, ooh, you're taking something away from me. You're abolishing my choice to get ripped off by a mafia middleman. So they're trying to scare people, and still, they said, no, I want Medicare for all. So, and by the way, that also shows that we need to, according to all the exit polls, with the left-wing positions being more popular, the burden is on us. The burden, the onus is on us. I'm sorry, I sound like Biden. I'm stumbling all over the place. Um, to get people to vote for Bernie and not Biden, because there are plenty of people in South Carolina, perfect example is, and North Carolina, they said, yeah, we prefer Medicare for all, but Biden won in landslides over Bernie. How can that possibly be? Because they've been scared into thinking Bernie's unelectable, even though they agree with him on the policy stuff. And they've been scared into thinking he's a radical. He's an extremist. That's why I've been so adamant for the past couple days saying Bernie needs to stress, no, I'm electable. Biden loses to Trump. I'm electable. Biden loses to Trump. And he needs to stress, I'm the moderate. I'm the centrist. He's the extremist. You know what's extreme? The Iraq war, an illegal offensive war against a country that didn't attack us, that killed minimum 200,000 civilians and thousands of our men and women in uniform. That's extreme. Outsourcing all the jobs from the Rust Belt and destroying a region, that's extreme. That's what he did. Cutting Social Security, that's extreme. That's what he wants. I'm the moderate. Why? Look at the polls. I'm right in mainstream opinion. So he needs to make that case. See, this is what I'm saying. It, the, the burden is on us to break through and have them vote for Bernie because they already agree with us on the policy. Now they just need that permission. No, it's okay. Vote for the guy who's better. And, um, you know... There was a time when apparently even Joe Biden thought Bernie Sanders was better on many of the issues. Okay. So now that the race is down to Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden, it's about to get a hell of a lot uglier. It's about to be a dogfight. Get ready for it, prep for it, and engage in it. It's important. So uh, Bernie Sanders, the day after Super Tuesday, released a whole bunch of ads, uh, you know, targeted for specific areas of the country that have some different concerns. But here's one that's running in Michigan. And Michigan, as we all know, was hit so hard by all those terrible outsourcing deals. So let's see how Bernie went after Biden. Uh, I've been a union auto worker since 2008. The community has been decimated by trade deals. Only one candidate for president has consistently opposed every disastrous trade deal, and that candidate is Bernie Sanders. The banksters that have been robbing us blind and stealing our pensions and destroying our communities, they have something to worry about. This is a man of conviction, a man of integrity, a man that is going to stand up for you no matter what. And that's why I personally support Bernie Sanders. I'm Bernie Sanders, and I approve this message. That's a pretty good ad. That's a pretty good ad. I may have included, you know, like a little clip of Biden or something praising NAFTA, because I'm sure it exists. There's a clips of him saying everything in the same way there were clips of Hillary Clinton saying everything. And the Republicans are not going to hold back. Trump would hit Biden on trade. He absolutely would. He, oh, God, Trump would, Trump would destroy Biden. Oh, my God. 
Biden would just be incoherent babbling in response to it, too. At least Hillary could respond. Her responses weren't good, but at least she could respond. Biden won't even have a response. So that's a good ad. I would have maybe included Biden saying praising NAFTA or praising TPP. And there's other clips that, you know, I've seen within the past couple days of him praising TPP. So the Republicans will trot that out. They'll be shameless, even though most of the Republicans supported TPP. That won't stop Trump from using that because he opposed TPP. He slipped some provisions of TPP into his new NAFTA. So he's kind of a fraud on these issues. But nonetheless, politically, he's savvy and he will use this to his advantage. So I maybe would have played um, those clips as well. And, but either way, he's hitting, he's hitting Biden on the right issues here. The issue where you really want to go at him in the Rust Belt is trade, because he has been for all these outsourcing deals, and it has been, that has really been a life or death matter in that region. Just so many jobs taken away, so many lives ruined, so many people having to move, upend their lives and move. Why? Because we wanted a, a bunch of you know, corporate executives to make some more money, and so they wanted to reduce costs. So um, this is good stuff, and I want to see more of it from Bernie, and we're going to get to more of his ads in a little bit, but he's got some targeted of Florida specifically. He's got some for, you know, Michigan, and um, they're targeting in an intelligent way, and honestly, I think it would have been better if they went hard at Biden earlier. Now, I'm not a big fan of the gratuitous attack. I'm a fan of, like, when the second they say something about you, okay, then you go at them as hard as you can. But I, don't, I like to keep the powder dry until they open the door. Hey, you want to be nice? We'll be nice to each other. Oh, you don't want to be nice? Okay, well then let's go down that road as well and make them regret that they ever did it. Um, but he should have run the Obama ad that you're going to see in a little bit in South Carolina. And he didn't. And in defense of the campaign, they had solid data which proved to them that anytime Bernie went at Biden, Bernie went down. And there's good evidence that the people who supported Biden, their second favorite choice was Bernie. So there, there was a logic to, okay, we can't, if we go at Joe, we got to go at him in a way that's very specific and makes sense and doesn't alienate more people than it brings in. So there was, you know, a bunch of calculations going on behind the scenes. However, I will say you're in a primary, and the only way to win a primary is to make clear distinctions between you and your opponent. And don't hold back about that. Don't, you know, beat around the bush. In a very simple and straightforward way, you're supposed to say, I'm better. Here's why I'm better. They're worse. Here's why they're worse. And um, now he's starting to do that. And it, it might feel like it's too late, but who knows? Maybe if they go about it the right way from here on out, They'll peak at the right time in the election, and they will effectively counterattack all of the nonsense going on on the other side. Because they're, you know, they'll try to go after Bernie over uh, on some stuff. I'm sure they'll bring up, you know, whatever the Cuba thing again or whatever the hell you, it might be. But really, the biggest hurdle for Bernie is that the establishment coalescing is working and that it's clearing a path for Biden. That's the biggest hurdle for Bernie at the moment is that Mayor Pete and Amy Klobuchar dropping out and endorsing Biden actually made most of their voters go to Biden, which cleared a path and helped him on Super Tuesday. So that's his biggest hurdle now, but, you know, the way you combat that 
is to lean into the fact that the reason they did that is because they represent the corporate interest. They represent the powers that be. You represent the people. So the establishment is stopping at nothing to stop you. You lean into that, and then you also stress they're the corrupt ones. That's why they had to get together and clear a path for Biden. I'm the one who's not corrupt. I'm the one who's representing the people. And, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm the moderate. I'm the centrist. They're the extremists. They support endless wars. They support the outsourcing deals. They support cutting Social Security. So that's how you win that fight. That's how you lean into it. But definitely the early signs post-Super Tuesday are good. Bernie came out and he gave a speech and he, he basically said, well, in the coming weeks you're going to find out that there's a real difference between me and my opponent. And he ran through some of the stuff. I will say I really hope he stops calling Biden my friend, though. My friend, my friend, my friend, my friend, my friend. Just drop it. Drop it. I get why he's doing that. Again, a lot of people who support Biden have Bernie as their second favorite choice, and he doesn't want to alienate them. However, if you're going to go in on his record anyway and say, hey, these were really bad decisions, then you don't need to, you know, say beforehand, but he really is my buddy, because then you're given, you know, a degree of permission. Like, okay, if you want him, go right ahead. People really need to know there's not an option here. There's only one person who's serious, and it's me. Okay. All right, let's take a break. And then when we come back, I got more Bernie Sanders ads, um, and they're really good. And um, later on in the show, I have what happened to the stock market when they saw that Bernie didn't have the best Super Tuesday. So stay right there. We'll be right back with all of that and much, much more.
Okay, bitch, we are back. <clears throat> All right, another ad, and this one we will discuss in detail. So Bernie is out with a bunch of new ads now post-Super Tuesday. Um, the campaign is being very strategic, and there's a, there is a lot to learn about what they're doing. I think there are ways they can improve the message. I think there are ways they have already improved the message. So this ad, I believe, is playing in Florida. It might be playing elsewhere as well. I, I think there are six states that vote next Tuesday. And um, this ad I know is playing in Florida. I'm not sure if they targeted it to any other states, but they may have. And those decisions are made based on a lot of information, a lot of data as to how the ads would play in certain places. But anyway, here's the ad. It's uh, Bernie is now taking a page out of Warren's book and taking a page out of Bloomberg's book. And, I mean, Biden's whole campaign has been based on this. He's saying, he's showing everybody here, whoa, whoa. They're all saying, oh, Obama loves them, Obama's wonderful. Okay, well, I got that too. Take a look. Bernie is somebody who has the virtue of saying exactly what he believes, great authenticity, great passion, and is fearless. Bernie served on the Veterans Committee and got bills done. I think people are ready for a call to action. They want honest leadership who cares about them, they want somebody who's going to fight for them. And they will find it in Bernie. That's where I feel the burn. I'm Bernie Sanders, and I approve this message. Now, that ad is made to appeal to normie Democrats in places where populism struggles a little bit. Now, where does populism work? Populism works in any area that is middle class or lower income. The only places in the country where populism doesn't work are upper middle class and upper class, upper income folks. That, that's the only, those are the only demographic groups that are non-responsive to populism. So you ha we have to be intelligent moving forward, particularly because Bernie is struggling with a couple uh, demographic groups now that all the votes are coming in. In the polls, he wasn't, but in reality, he is underperforming among, uh, like, normie Democrats, suburbanites. All the suburbanites are going to Biden right now. Um, rural white voters and older black voters. Those, that's who he's struggling with. He's doing phenomenally well with young people. He's doing phenomenally well uh, with Latinos. Um, but his, he's struggling in some very clear demographics. And so in Florida, there are a lot of that demographic that Bernie has not appealed to. So you have to craft a message that's going to make them realize what I've been screaming for the past few days, which is, whoa, 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 whoa. Bernie's the more electable candidate. Biden's not electable. Bernie's the moderate. He's the centrist. Joe Biden is the extremist with the Iraq war and social security cuts and the outsourcing deals. So, like, it's important that people understand that because a lot of the polls show almost everybody agrees with Bernie on the substance, but then they hesitate in voting for him. 
So they need that permission. Like, it's okay. Go ahead. And Barack Obama, even though, in my opinion, and we can get into it, but even though, in my opinion, he has a very mixed record, um, his approval rating is over 60% in the country. His approval rating with Democrats is preposterously high. So this is an attempt, this is Bernie saying to people like, whoa, 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 hold on here. This idea that I'm like, you know, I'm unelectable and I'm scary and I'm extreme. Well, did you think Barack Obama was extreme? Because he's a fan. So that's what he's doing there. Um, now, in terms of Barack Obama's record, I think I've, I've done my best to be as objective as possible and as nuanced as possible when talking about his record. So there are plenty of good things that Barack Obama did. Normalizing relations with Cuba was 100% correct. The Iran deal was 100% correct. And we're seeing what happens when an administration goes in the opposite direction right now with the neocon war hawks leading the Trump administration. We're on a war footing with Iran. I hate that. Um, in his second term in office, Barack Obama kept freeing nonviolent drug offenders. That was good. Uh, he raised the minimum wage for federal workers. That was good. So he's done some things that are good. But it's also true that, you know, he bailed out Wall Street, which he shouldn't have done. He bailed out GM, which is good, but he bailed out Wall Street, which he definitely shouldn't have done. Um, he stacked his administration with people from, City, from a list that Citigroup gave him, which is unacceptable. Um, he made a strong percentage of the Bush tax cuts permanent. Now, thankfully, a lot of those tax cuts were on the lower end, so it's not as egregious as it sounds. But yes, in many ways, he was not good. He, he increased our wars. He ran on getting out of at least Iraq. And when, by the time he got out of office, we were bombing eight countries. So, you know, that's horrendous and that's unacceptable. He also was pushing TPP. He wanted to do another trade deal, which would have further decimated manufacturing in this country. So, and, and guys, listen, that's one of the reasons why this ad is running in frickin' Florida and it's not running in Michigan. In Michigan, Bernie's talking about how, hey, I opposed all those trade deals and Biden supported them. So the struggle that Bernie Sanders has now is appealing to the groups that are now breaking late for Biden. Because remember, all like the suburbanites were split. Okay, I like Amy Klobuchar. Okay, I like Mayor Pete. Okay, I like Biden. I like Bloomberg. But now with all them gone, unfortunately, they are coalescing behind Biden. Now, I wouldn't have known that was possible because the dude literally has dementia. So I would have thought many of them would stay home or some of them would go to Bernie or whatever it may be. But no, they're all going to, to Biden. So it's not enough for Bernie to just shore up his base. He also has to expand the coalition get back those rural whites that he's lost, and get some suburbanites, which is why Crystal Ball of Rising did a segment the other day saying, hey, listen, you might not like it, but if Bernie were to give the VP to Elizabeth Warren, Elizabeth Warren's demographic are the college-educated liberals, the suburbanites. That's who Bernie needs to bring to the coalition. So even though with everything she's done and really you know, put her middle finger up to the to the progressive base, that would be a move that would kind of help out, demographically speaking. So there are all these, it's a difficult thing to do now because my, what I think is the case, and I don't know this for sure, just to be clear, but what I think is the case is that Bernie's team was banking on 
in a similar thing happening in the Democratic primary as happened in the 2016 GOP primary, which is there are too many establishment figures splitting the establishment vote for any of them to do well. But what the Democratic establishment proved at the last minute is that they're actually a hell of a lot more organized than the Republican establishment was in 2016. And that's why they all dropped out at the last minute and endorsed Biden. By the way, there's reports that Obama made the phone calls to Mayor Pete and to Amy Klobuchar and said, listen, we got ourselves a little bit of a predicament here, if you know what I'm saying. So maybe, you know, maybe you drop out and throw your support behind this guy and we'll make you an offer you can't refuse. The mafia boss of the Democratic Party. And, um, you know, cleared that path for Biden. So they're more organized, and now Bernie has a tougher path. Because if the race stayed as is, let's say Mayor Pete and Amy Klobuchar stayed in for Super Tuesday, the original prediction for Super Tuesday would have held up, which is namely Bernie's worst-case scenario was winning eight states out of 14 contests. Um, which would put him on path to a plurality where nobody else could get a plurality. And maybe even he would win more than eight states, which would put him on pace to a majority. They didn't want to roll the dice on that. They wanted to still make it possible that somebody else could win a plurality. This guy. So that's what we're up against, just so everybody understands. That's what we're up against. And they cleared the path. Biden got a lot of that support. And so Bernie's in a tough predicament because he has to try to get some of the normie Democrats on his side to win from here. And so the message needs to be just right. And that's what he's trying to do with this burn, with this uh, Obama ad. And I like it. I like it. And he should have run it earlier against Biden. He should have gone negative on Biden earlier, even though they had data saying that, hey, that, that might not be the best move because you don't want to alienate the people who might come to, to Bernie. But now you're in a primary. Now it's one-on-one. You definitely have to do it. You have to make the distinctions. And uh, listen, the other thing is that the next debate can't come quick enough. Can't come quick enough. Because, you know, Bernie's going to destroy Biden. He can't speak in coherent sentences. What do you think is going to happen? <laughs> Bernie's a pretty solid debater. You know, I might have a couple issues with him here and there, but he's a pretty good debater. Ask Hillary Clinton. A guy who was supposed to win zero states won 22, got like 47% of the vote. That doesn't happen willy-nilly. And, you know, Biden used to be a good debater, but now he's a shell of his former self. So I hope that next debate comes quickly. But Bernie's team is being intelligent. They're being strategic. And now I like what I see. I wish this would have started a little bit earlier, though. Okay, now Bernie did an ad against Biden on the Iraq war. So Bernie Sanders did an ad against Joe Biden on the topic of the Iraq war. Now, this is just, I believe this is just a social media ad. Uh, In other words, they're not running this in any particular state at the moment, but still, this is good. Take a look. 
contrary to what some in my party might think, Iraq was a problem that had to be dealt with. Weapons of mass destruction. Weapons of mass destruction. Weapons of mass destruction. Weapons of mass destruction. He thought he had weapons of mass destruction. Turns out he didn't. But I never believed what Cheney and Bush said about Iraq. I'm an Iraq veteran. I shipped to Iraq exactly six days after the war started. As a veteran, I didn't see a lot of Trump children or other rich kids in the military. The military is all people from middle class and lower middle class backgrounds. Those are the people that go to fight the wars. I remember all the ginning up towards the war in Iraq, and I see the same thing now. Soleimani was plotting imminent and sinister attacks on American diplomats and military personnel. We have every expectation that people not only in Iraq, but in Iran, will view the American action last night as giving them freedom. I support Bernie Sanders because he doesn't take money from the defense contractors. He hasn't been meeting with people to start the wars. He's been meeting with people to fight the wars. Bernie Sanders meets with working class families who have had family members who have fought in Iraq. And they show him what it's like when you come back from the war. And if you don't meet with those people, you don't understand that kind of hardship. Bernie Sanders is somebody who understands that these people don't want their children to go off and fight foreign wars. I know that it is rarely the children of the billionaire class who face the agony of reckless foreign policy. It is the children of working families. I met with the mothers of the young men who lost their lives in that war. War is a horror. And it's time politicians understood that we have got to do everything humanly possible to avoid war. The Iraq war cost us roughly $2 trillion. It cost us the lives of 4,500 soldiers and 500,000 Iraqi citizens. Donald Trump has fundamentally broken his two most important promises to the middle class. He promised to help the middle class with jobs, and he promised to keep us out of foreign wars. In his time in office so far, he has cut taxes for the rich and put us on a path to war with one of the most powerful countries in the Middle East. We need steady leadership that's going to repair our international relations. Bernie Sanders is always had the same view. When he gets into office, he's not going to all of a sudden change and decide, oh, I, I like wars all of a sudden. We know where he stands on wars because he's stood the same way he's always stood on the wars. A preemptive war against Iraq would be a terrible mistake. That is the definition of steady leadership. That was a really good ad, and there was a hell of a lot of substance in it. Again, that one's not running on TV, I don't think, particularly because it's long. It's like two minutes, over two minutes and 30 seconds. Um, but it's something he released on social media. It has over a million views on social media. And that's, I mean, that's just powerful. And one of the themes you realize with Bernie, and we all know this, we've known this since 2015, 2016, always comes back to substance, always does it. And by the way, that is the strongest possible thing you can imagine against Donald Trump. I always said the toughest part for Bernie is going to be getting through the primary. But if he gets through the primary, I think he'll have an easier time against Trump, even though Trump still has a decent chance at re-election. Don't get it twisted. I'm not underestimating Trump by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but he always goes back to the substance, always right back to substance, right back to substance. It's what he does. It's in his DNA. And, you know, it's become a, a, a talking point that we say casually, but we, people really need to stop and reflect on what it means that, that the Iraq war happened and that Politicians like Joe Biden supported it, and he supported it enthusiastically no matter what he says now, okay? He really did support it enthusiastically. So I just want to remind you how bad the Iraq war was. And there was an article that came out in Business Insider. It, um, it's citing a study 
uh, from the Brookings Institute called the Cost of War Project. And the Brookings Institute, if I remember correctly, is just, it's not even, it's like a center-left organization. It's not even like, you know, like Code Pink or an actual lefty, non-interventionist, you know, thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I'm, I agree with the people in Code Pink, obviously. Um, but I'm just saying that it relatively nonpartisan. And the report came out in 2013, and the stuff that we learned about the Iraq War, even back in 2013, which is seven years ago now, and we're still there, but the numbers were mind-boggling. So back in 2013, there were already 189,000 direct war deaths, which, which don't include the people that died in the war due to hardship. Um, that's direct war deaths. There were about 5,000 U.S service personnel that were killed directly. There were 32,223 troops that were injured, and that doesn't include PTSD. We know the PTSD is through the roof. We know we have a suicide epidemic because a lot of these people who were sent to the Middle East and then they come back, their lives are never the same. They feel broken, and then they kill themselves. And, you know, hey, if you're one of those people, listen, there's hope, and we can get you help. And, you know especially with something like Medicare for All, which we're fighting for, it would give people the mental health care that they absolutely need. But, I mean, look at that, man. 32,223 troops injured. That's physical injuries, not even PTSD. That's a whole other thing when you add in PTSD. There were 655,000 people who died in Iraq since the invasion, invasion who would not have died if the invasion had not occurred. 655,000. Reporters. 150 reporters were killed in the war. Uh, there were 2.8 million people who are either internally displaced in Iraq or they fled the country. There are, or there's been $1.7 trillion spent. That's the amount in war expenses spent by the U.S. Treasury Department as through fiscal year 2013. Now, I mean, obviously that number is way higher. The amount of money spent in Iraq per second, five thousand dollars we've been there 17 years 17 years five thousand dollars per second that's your money that's my money that's our tax money that's what it's going towards this guy voted for it and then he has the nerve to turn around and say yeah medicare for all trillions of dollars we don't like medicare for all how you gonna pay for bernie how you gonna pay for it how are you gonna pay for the war that you enthusiastically supported I got more numbers for you. You know how much it costs to deploy one American military member to the Middle East? $350,000. The amount of money in war benefits that's owed to veterans, $490 billion. The projected total cost of the war, when all is said and done and you account for the interest because the war was paid for with a lot of borrowed money, Seven trillion dollars. That's what it's going to cost us by 2053. Seven trillion dollars. Twenty billion dollars was paid to just KBR, just that one defense contractor for equipment and services. These are, these are the war profiteers, guys. Go watch the documentary Iraq for Sale, The War Profiteers to be blown away because you'll see a lot of this was a scam. A lot of this was the military industrial complex going, oh, it's time to get paid, son. And they know Dick Cheney. Dick Cheney, uh, you know, was one of the top people in the company Halliburton. He got an exit bonus of millions of dollars, and then boom, 
The war happens. He gives no bid contracts to Halliburton and KBR. KBR, I think, is their parent company. So people are getting rich off of misery and death and war and violence. $3 billion was the amount of KBR payments that Pentagon auditors considered questionable and couldn't account for. $3 billion. People were stealing money from the taxpayers during this war. People were getting rich off of this. Again, you, a lot of people who watch this show might be on the younger side and they really don't know about what happened in the Iraq war and just how bad it was and just how disastrous it is. But this is what I'm trying to educate you on right now. And these are old figures. So everything is worse now. But, like, really try to wrap your mind around what this does to a generation, what this does to people my age and a little older than me who watched all this unfold. What does that do to us? You know what it does? It makes us go, oh, my God, they're all corrupt, except for one guy. His name is Bernie Sanders. He opposed this. So I'll give you some more here. Um, There are 1.6 million gallons of oil used by U.S. forces each day in Iraq. Um, $12 billion per month is the cost of Iraq. Uh, This was by 2008. I'm sure that figure has oscillated quite a bit up to this day. $7 billion is the amount owed to Iraq by the U.S. after the war, mostly due to fraud. $20 billion it costs just to do annual air conditioning. Um, there's $546 million missing in spare parts. Get this, and this, this is going to blow your mind. There are 190,000 guns that are missing. And you know who those ended up going to? Take a guess. Our enemies, including ISIS. 190,000 guns just went missing. Wow, look at that. 40%, there's been a 40% increase in Iraqi oil production after we invaded. Wow. So maybe the war had something to do with the oil. Uh, there's been five, there were $5 billion of revenue from Iraqi oil in 2003. By 2011, that figure became $85 billion. Insanity. $150 billion is the amount of is the amount that oil companies are expected to invest in oil development over the next decade. Um, $75 billion is the approximate amount expected to, expected to go to American subcontracting companies, the biggest of all, Halliburton. And then the, the last number here, which is perhaps the most important number, and you'll know why, is zero. There were zero weapons of mass destruction This is what Joe Biden supported. Every single Democrat who has run for the presidency, who has supported the Iraq war, has lost. There are two people left who are viable, Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. Joe Biden supported it. Bernie Sanders fought against it every step of the way. Bernie was right. He's the most electable option, and he's right. Keep that in mind. Okay, we move on, baby, we move on.
So I just want everybody to understand what we're up against. Uh, we're up against the entire establishment. And uh, when Joe Biden had a good Super Tuesday, and he did, there's no spinning it, um, you know, when all said and done and all the votes are counted, we're going to be about tied in delegates. We might have a slight lead. We might be a little bit behind. But we're basically going to be tied with Biden moving forward. And so Biden had a, a very good Super Tuesday. And as a result of that, the Dow surged more than 600 points. And there was a giant boost in healthcare stocks. United Health up 12.29%. Cigna up 9.94%. Anthem up 14.53%. Centene up 14.68%. So in other words, the health insurance mafia, the one that gets in between you and your doctor and price gouges you, the people who restrict your freedom of choice and tell you you can only go in-network, those people were ecstatic that Biden performed well on Super Tuesday because they thought, oh, thank God, we're going to still be allowed to rip people off if Biden gets the nomination and it's Biden versus Trump. Oh, thank God. Bernie is fighting for Medicare for all, which gives everybody health care as a right, and they no longer can profit off of health, off of health and sickness. And so they said, oh, thank God. Maybe we're out of the woodworks here. Maybe Bernie Sanders is not going to win. This is what we're up against, guys. And just so you know, Amy Klobuchar dropping out and endorsing Biden. Mayor Pete dropping out and endorsing Biden. Obama making those phone calls behind the scenes to get them to do that. And I'm sure they were promised administration positions. They're all in cahoots. They wanted something like this to happen. They want to represent the special interests and the lobbyists and the corporations and the billionaires. That's what they want to do. They have a new disingenuous line of attack, by the way. Bernie Sanders said the other day, you're going to see the clear differences between me and Joe Biden. He's represented by the establishment. I'm not. Biden comes out and gives a speech and he responds and he says, yeah, the establishment, including the you know, over 3 million voters who voted for me, of uh, black people. So I guess black people are part of the establishment, huh? Here we go. So that is a sleazy dodge, and it's trying to deflect from the substance of criticism, to which Bernie responded, no, I mean the 60 billionaires who contributed to your campaign. That's the establishment. You know who else is the establishment? These for-profit health insurance companies whose stocks went up when you did well. I guarantee you the same thing is going to happen if it hasn't already happened with the military industrial complex and the defense companies, Raytheon, Boeing, Honeywell, um, you know, and all of them. So this is what we're up against, and it's going to be a dogfight. And we can't throw in the towel. We can't give up. Just so you know, the position that we're in today versus where we were in 2016 with Hillary, the position with, in 2016 with Hillary, we were in a much worse position. We're in a stronger position today, according to, according to the delegate count. So just keep that in mind, man. If you're feeling like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Oh, my God, is it over? Oh, my God, are we going to lose? Stop whining. Shut up. Get to work. And let's try to get this guy elected because he's the only one who's really going to change things for the better. 
And the fact that all these ghouls lined up behind him and cleared that moderate centrist path, that establishment path, I should say, tells us everything we need to know. And remember, this is the framing moving forward. And I just slipped up, and I shouldn't have. Bernie is the real centrist. Bernie is the real moderate. Why? Because Bernie is in the center of mainstream American opinion, according to every poll. He represents the center of the country. Biden represents the donors and the lobbyists and the special interests and the corporations and the billionaires. He's why Washington is broken. So that's the framing. Biden is the extremist. The Iraq war is extreme. Cutting Social Security is extreme. The outsourcing deals he supported are extreme. So that's the framing moving forward, but... It really says something, doesn't it? This fact alone should blow your mind and say, make you say, I'm going to vote for Bernie. That the worst industries in the country, the, the war profiteers, the people who profit off of sickness, the mafia who rips you off, these people are ecstatic that Biden did well. They're very clearly not in favor of the people, and Bernie is. All right, now we're going to talk about the exit polls on single-payer, because that should give you hope. So um, there is a lot of good news in this election, just so you know. Even with the Super Tuesday results, which you know we weren't ecstatic about, but there's still data points that show that we're winning the war. We're winning the long-term fight. So... Every single um, contest where there was a vote, except for Arkansas and Utah, they did entrance polls or exit polls. And so you get a sense of where people are on the issues. In every single place, Medicare for All was above water. So let me show you here. Um, Iowa, 57% supported, 38% against. New Hampshire, 58% for, 37% against. Nevada, 62% in favor, 35% against. South Carolina, 49% in favor, 46% against. Alabama, 46% in favor, or 40, where is it? 49% in favor, 45 against. And Alabama overwhelmingly went to Biden. Um, California, 57% in favor, 36% against. Colorado, 57% in favor, 36% against. Massachusetts. Or is that Maine? That's Massachusetts. Massachusetts, 53% in favor, 42% against. Maine, 71% in favor, 26% against. And Biden won Maine, too, by the way. Minnesota, 62% in favor, 35% against. North Carolina, 55% in favor, 41% against. Oklahoma, 53% in favor, 43% against. Tennessee, 52% in favor, 44% against. Texas, 63% in favor, 33% against. Vermont, 51% in favor, 46% against. Um... No, that was Virginia, 51 in favor, 46 against, and Vermont is 73 in favor, 23 against. So that makes, that makes more sense. Okay, so, guys, even in states where Joe Biden won the race, Medicare for All is popular. Even in Alabama, where Biden crushed. So what's going on here? What's going on is very simple. People are actually concerned and voting on electability and who can beat Trump. And there was a giant spike, a giant surge in people thinking Biden can beat Trump 
after South Carolina and then after all the endorsements. So we know the battle that we're fighting now. We know the battle that we're fighting. And what people are clearly saying is, I agree with Bernie on the issues, but I don't know if he's electable. I don't know if he could beat Trump. And so Bernie did a great job to get the lead on electability, but then after the South Carolina win for Biden and after the endorsements, it flipped. So what I would say to Bernie's campaign is you still have to hammer away on electability, 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 electability. We're the only one who can beat Trump. We're the only one who can beat Trump. We're the only one who can beat Trump. Um, Because you won in terms of policies. And the other thing I would do is, again, keep framing the discussion as, I'm the moderate, I'm the centrist, Biden is the extremist. And the argument you use is the one I've been using every day, which is I'm, according to every poll, I'm, I represent the center of mainstream American opinion. So that is, that's centrism right there. That's what that is. He's the extremist because the Iraq war is extreme. Outsourcing deals that he supports are extreme. Cutting Social Security is extreme. So you have to hammer away, hammer away, hammer away. Because again, I, don't, I can't stress this enough. We won on policy. We won. So if you just keep talking about how we're right on policy, people are like, yeah, okay. And still, why should I vote for you? I know that's crazy that people think that way, but people obviously think that way. They do. So that's what we have to do moving forward. And, um, but you do have to give Bernie tremendous credit for getting those numbers to this point now. Because you go back to 10 years ago, and the numbers are not that. They're just not. They're not. But he has totally changed the public attitude towards something like Medicare for All. And again, remember, the way that they're asking the question is biased to try to get people to say, I don't want it. Because they say, do you want to replace private health insurance and, um, you know, put into place a single government, you know, plan or whatever? It's phrased in some way like that, which was not the best way to to talk about it. If they asked about, do you support Medicare for all, the numbers would be even more on Bernie's side. You know, if they said, do you want to do what the rest of the developed world has done, (laughs) it would be even more in Bernie's favor. So the way you ask the question is massive, and they asked it in a biased way against it, and Bernie still won on these. So there are happy data points even after Super Tuesday. And remember, guys, this is a brand new race. We're back at square one. Everything's even Stevens, and we got to move on um, and win. So what we do from here really matters more than anything that we've done up to this point. All right. Um, I do want to take a look, see if I have any update for you guys on Elizabeth Warren. Let me see. There's speculation that it's going to be Biden, but that's really just speculation. Wait, did she actually do it? Uh, Hold on, I got to check, guys. I got to check. Perhaps being on air is not the exact right time to, um, to really search, but... Let's see. Joe Biden tweeted something. Joe Biden says, Senator Elizabeth Warren is in the fiercest of fights for middle-class families. 
Her work in Washington, in Massachusetts, on the campaign trail has made a real difference in people's lives. We needed her voice in this race, and we need her continued work in the Senate. Oh, shoot. Oh, shoot. Okay. So, that's not, that, that's a tweet that's good for Bernie. Because that's Biden saying, you're not going to be my VP, and you're not going to be in my administration. Because he said, hey, we need your voice in the Senate. Okay, okay. I think Bernie would be more savvy than that and offer her a position in the administration, some position. So is there hope for a Bernie endorsement? It's possible after reading this tweet from Biden. I mean, he's trying to be nice, but he's also saying, like, go back to the Senate. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So I'm I'm just going to keep looking until... Until we get our answer, I don't know. Um, I don't know if we'll know today, but we should know soon. By the way, I have another. Here's another video that uh, you know Barack Obama probably doesn't want you to see today, um, but he said it. And it's probably something Bernie can cut into an ad. Uh, so I, I would just advise everybody be careful about something attributing to whoever pops up at a time of economic anxiety uh, the label that they're populists. Where have they been? Have they been on the front lines working on behalf of working people? Have they been? Carrying the laboring order, open up opportunities for more people. Now there, there, there are people like Bernie Sanders who I, I think genuinely deserve the title because he has been in the vineyard fight on behalf of, of, of these issues. So that's that's Obama saying I think in 2016 that. Donald Trump is not a real populist. Bernie Sanders is the real populist. I agree. (laughs) I totally agree. Donald Trump ran as a populist. His rhetoric was very populist on trade and a bunch of other issues. He said he wasn't going to cut Social Security like the other Republicans. Um, But ultimately, what's his main, you know, economic achievement, if you can call it that, while being president? His 2017 tax cuts, where 83% of the benefits went to the top 1%. That's not populist. That's George W. Bush-style conservatism. That's trickle-down economics. So it's exactly like every other elitist Republican. And by the way, you all know this fact because you watch this show, but there were 93,000 jobs outsourced in Trump's first year. That's more than Obama's last year of 87,000 Obama had outsourced in his last year. So the idea that he's, you know, uniquely good, even when he, remember when he staged that whole thing with the carrier factory? He's like, I'm going to save the jobs here. Little reported fact is that within a year of them doing this whole thing, like Trump saved their jobs, all those jobs were outsourced anyway. And Trump had given them a giant subsidy. So he hoses the taxpayer, gives this factory the money, and then they outsource the jobs anyway. So those people, when you talk to those uh, factory workers, they say, oh, we've been had. We were bamboozled. It was all a scam. I agree. But in the case of Bernie, he's a real populist and he'll actually fight. 
So it's um, I, I don't think we're going to know in the course of this show what Elizabeth Warren is going to do. But it will absolutely have a big impact on the race. It will have a giant impact on the race. Okay, so let's um, let me do a couple more here. So Ro Khanna has been uh, one of the most effective surrogates for Bernie Sanders, particularly because his framing and his way of crafting arguments is actually from a more moderate position than Bernie. He is more centrist, um, not just in temperament, but also in policies, or at least in the arguments crafted to deliver the arguments on the policies. I said arguments too many times there. He's at least more moderate in the kind of arguments he makes to boost these populist left proposals. So he was on CNN. He's doing more of that here. Let's watch. Let's see if there are good parts about it and potentially bad parts about it. Take a look. Well, Don, look, I worked for President Obama. I worked on his first campaign in 1996. I worked in his administration. I, I wish there was tape of the president saying something nice about me. He never, never has. But every candidate running for president, as you know, has taken footage of the president saying something nice about him. Bloomberg right. has done that. Warren has done that. Biden has done that. So there is no, no one thinks that Barack Obama has endorsed Bernie Sanders. What we want to show is that we're very, very proud of uh, Ob- President Obama's accomplishments and that we want to affiliate and uh, build on his, uh, on his legacy. Okay. Okay. How do I say this? But I, I, think it's fair to, I think it's fair to clarify. It's fair, it's, it's fair to clarify that there is a question it because, because Senator Sanders has positioned himself as the anti-establishment candidate, and here he is sort of putting his arms around President Obama, who is an establishment, middle of the road, um, a moderate candidate. That's why people are questioning. Well, I, I don't know, Don, if I would say that. I mean, I, like I said, I worked for President Obama. President Obama is my role model, and I would argue that President Obama was a totally transformative change agent. I mean, he was against the war in Iraq. He was the progressive when he ran against Hillary Clinton. He was the first leader of color, not just in the United States, but in the Western world. So I, I think what, uh, what Bernie Sanders is doing is acknowledging the transformational campaign that President Obama ran. And President Obama recently said that he, he understands that 2020 is different than 2008. And I think he would want uh, those of us who work for him and others to push in an even more progressive direction. But that's my sense. I mean, I, I can't say okay. enough about how much of a transformational figure Obama was. All right, fair enough, fair enough. Hold on, look. Ro Khanna is without a doubt the normie Democrat whisperer. That's what he is. And um, a lot of people might watch this and their reaction might be like, come on, man, just say he's bad and just move on. But listen, we're trying to win an election here. And it's clear that the, one of the groups that um, Bernie is struggling with is the normie Democrats. So we have to be cognizant of that moving forward. And we have to adjust. And we have to make sure that we get as many votes as possible so we win the damn thing. 
So this is clearly a strategy. And the ad that they're talking about of Obama praising Bernie is running in Florida. And um, if you were going to make an ad like that, that's exactly where it should run. You don't run it in the Rust Belt where, you know, Obama was pushing TPP, which would have further outsourced jobs where those people feel totally left behind and like Obama didn't do enough. They're right about that, by the way. So both things are true at the same time. And this is what I try to uh, stress to you guys is that is there stuff to criticize Obama for? Absolutely. And we've gone over them a thousand times. We'll go over them a thousand more. I famously did a very long segment called Obama's Report Card where I graded him on every single thing that he did. And, you know, I said, hey, here's the good stuff. Here's the bad stuff. There's quite a bit of both. The good stuff includes uh, the Cuba, you know, making sure that we normalize relations with Cuba. That was great. The Iran deal, that was great. Releasing nonviolent drug offenders in his second term, pardoning and commuting sentences a lot. That was great. Um, Increasing the minimum wage for federal contractors. That was great. He did a bunch of things like that. Bailing out General Motors. Great. But there was also, um, you know, the bailing out of Wall Street, which was not only not great, it was corrupt, the pushing of TPP and all these outsourcing deals. That also, not only was that bad, I would argue that was corrupt as well. Um, the Fighting for Hillary Clinton, he even dropped hints that he preferred Hillary to Bernie in the early on, even though he didn't make a formal endorsement. Um, that obviously was bad. And in many ways, he's a, a neoliberal centrist. He increased our uh, foreign interventions when he had run on getting out of those foreign interventions. So all that stuff is true, and there's plenty of criticism to go around. And watch my video give, on Obama's report card. But what uh, Ro Khan is doing here is crafting a message that expands Bernie's circle so he can win the election. Because right now, a lot of people, when Mayor Pete dropped out, Amy Klobuchar back, uh, dropped out and they endorsed Biden, there's a coalescing, and the coalescing is kind of working. So we need to find a way to fight back against that. And Ro Khanna's a good surrogate to do exactly that, to calm down the normie Democrats and be like, hey, hey, it's all good. It's all good. You're going to like us. Um, and the other thing I said, and I've already said this five times in this show, is um, you absolutely have to make the argument, I'm the centrist, I'm the moderate, Joe's the extremist. And the argument is, on all the policy positions, I'm um, in agreement with the American people. So I'm in the center of American opinion. I'm the centrist. He's the extremist because of all the terrible decisions, the Iraq war, the outsourcing deals, cutting Social Security and Medicare, so on and so forth. Joe Biden campaigned or gave speeches which boosted Republicans in crucial states that Democrats needed to win. $200,000 a speech, and he was helping Republicans. How's that for extreme? Are you somebody who's a Democrat? Are you somebody who's on the left or what? He's the problem here. Bernie Sanders wants to take the positive things Obama did and build on them. Obamacare got a lot of people health care. Great. Better than nothing. It's great we did that reform versus doing nothing. But the next logical step is the public option, and then the, the ultimate goal is all the way to Medicare for all. And Bernie's plan is a four-year transition, and it works perfectly like that. So he wants to expand on that. And if that's what it takes to get more normie Democrats on board, by all means, make the argument. By all means. And Rokan is very good at this. The other thing he does, he does this with Medicare for All, too, is he will make an argument from a business perspective, from, hey, man, listen, this is going to take a lot of costs away from the businesses. It's tough for businesses to make sure, oh, we got to get health care for our people. Oh, we have to make sure that uh, they're covered and it's a giant cost, and I don't know if we can afford it and all this stuff. Hey, let's take that off, off the table. 
And by the way, internationally, we're at a disadvantage right, excuse me, right now. But if we had Medicare for all, we'd even the playing field out because businesses overseas don't have to worry about paying for health care for their people because it's covered already. So that would put us at a, you know, right now we're at a competitive disadvantage. We could get rid of that if we had Medicare for all. And there'd be a lot of savings for businesses. It saves money. He talks about that all the time, too. So he's crafting these arguments in a way that appeal to normie Democrats. And even if you're somebody on the left who perhaps is not a fan of that kind of ideology, you can see the utility in it when it comes to winning an election, which is what we have to do and what we're trying to do right now. Okay, and I'm going to do one more. One more story. I work for Oops. President Obama. And I just need to find it in my Twitter. I just need to find it in my Twitter. So the Daily Beast wrote a very uh, concerned, trolly argument, uh, article, I should say, about Bernie Sanders, um, where they're trying to wag their finger at him and be like, oh, the reason why you struggled on Super Tuesday is because you didn't play the game right. And um, so Sam Stein tweeted this, new, Sanders had a week after Nevada to send signals to mainstream Democrats that he wasn't the characterization that his critics had drawn. He didn't do it maybe couldn't do it, and that's why he's now in this place. And the title of it is The Real Reason Bernie's Campaign Stumbled and May Never Recover. And so the argument is, hey man, after Nevada, you're the clear front runner. That's when you pick up the phone, you make calls to Democratic political figures, to the establishment, and you say, all right, what is it going to take to get you on board with me? I'm inevitable. And one of the things they're citing is James Clyburn said, Bernie didn't really, uh, you know, court me for my endorsement in South Carolina. Now, there are a few things I find interesting about that. Number one is he added the word really to qualify or really. He didn't really do it. Really. Okay. So you, he didn't say he didn't do it. He didn't reach out to me. He said he didn't really do it. So that tells me, of course, Bernie tried to talk to him, and Clyburn was probably shut off to it, and he was like, all right, what am I going to do? And, I, and he moved on. But beyond that, the idea is, Bernie, the reason why you struggle on Super Tuesday is that after you won big in Nevada, your anti-establishment message was still scaring the establishment. Therefore, they were refusing to help you, and that's why you didn't do well. Absurd. Bernie Sanders is not corrupt. He doesn't take the corporate money. All the people you wanted him to reach out to to try to get endorsements from them, they're swimming in the corporate money. They simply don't agree with him. It didn't matter how much he courted them. They don't agree with him. They're not in favor of social democracy. They're in favor of neoliberalism. 
So it didn't matter. It's not that, oh, he didn't, he didn't have proper decorum and civility. He didn't do the proper niceties and, and shake the right hands. No, it wouldn't have mattered if he did that. And ultimately, what really happened, which led to Super Tuesday, was Amy Klobuchar dropped out. Um, Mayor Pete dropped out. They trotted out Beto in Texas. They had this event, and they endorsed Biden, and they made, put this aura of invincibility now around Biden, and the media for two days straight to, oh, my God, Biden, 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 oh, yes, the most electable, the best one, Bernie Sanders is done, it's over, it's over, no, nothing to look at here, Biden's going to be the winner, Biden's a serious candidate, and then that came to fruition, and those endorsements really made it so that those candidates went to Biden, I mean, excuse me, not those candidates, well, the candidates went there, but their supporters then went to Biden, so really, there was Call it what it is, an establishment plot with them coalescing around Biden, clearing the lane for him. They had to do that to give him a chance. If they didn't clear the lane, there's no way Super Tuesday would have went the way it went. Obama making phone calls, cutting backroom deals, putting the, hey, I'll give you a position in my administration if you endorse me. That's what went on. And now what are they doing? Blame the victim. Blame the victim of the establishment plot to take him down at the last minute. Well, Bernie could have gotten the establishment to back him if he just reached out and tried. No, he couldn't have. They don't support Medicare for all. They don't support free college. They don't support a living wage. They don't support ending the wars. They don't really support legalizing marijuana. They don't really support a Green New Deal. I mean, duh, duh, duh. The fact that you have people in mainstream media who are still pushing absurd arguments like this. I mean, come on, man. It's beyond ridiculous. It's beyond absurd. It's not on Bernie at all. It's the Empire Strikes Back. They're, they learned the lessons of 2016 on the Republican side when Marco Rubio, Jeb Bush, Ted Cruz, John Kasich didn't all get together in a room and say, okay, it's only got to be one of us because that's the only way we have a chance. They didn't do it. If they had done it earlier, maybe things would have been different. They didn't do it. In the case of Bernie, they did it because they learned the lessons of 2016, and now he's being blamed for it. So remember, guys, they had to use these clever tricks in order to even be in the ball game because now the game is tied. Now we're going to be about tied in delegates moving forward. So even to tie Bernie, they needed to do all these tricks. Keep that in mind. This fight is long from over. They're going to gaslight us like crazy, but we'll fight back. Okay. And we are done for the day. We're done. Expect a very high likelihood of more Biden stories moving forward. Yeah, expect that. Expect that. Because we're going to go after him. We're going to show you his record. We're going to show you why Bernie's the best candidate. Um... And we're going to win this thing. So anyway, I love you guys. I'll talk to you soon. Everybody enjoy the rest of your day. I'm out. Peace.